And the guy that Pastor Pat was just talking about, uh, I know normally when speakers come up here, they get like cool pictures and a you know, like cool music, uh, but I am really thankful for the introduction, Pastor Pat. I love him dearly. I love this church dearly. Uh, I started attending here when I was in college uh, back 2009, 2010, and my wife and I got married in 2011, and we were here for a couple years before I went to pastor uh, Holmes Baptist Church in Clarion, Iowa, and you may have uh, heard of Pastor Pat referred to his previous church. Uh, that was the church he formerly pastored before he came to Sailorville. Uh, we were there for uh, several years, and then uh, for a year we were here uh, as, a, as an intern, and, and now we're at Calvary Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant. Uh, I get to be here with my wife of 12 years, uh, Amber, and then we've got four kids with us. Uh, Kinley, who has just turned 11 yesterday, uh, Elsie, who is nine, Cohen, who is seven, and then Charles, or Chaz, uh, who's four. So uh, just such a delight to be here and open God's word for you. For our time together this morning, I want to strengthen your faith in Christ. As a pastor, I pastor a church in Mount Pleasant, but I pastor a church where we face deep and even traumatic suffering and sins, just like you do here at Sailorville. And the darkness of our culture casts its shadows over Mount Pleasant just as it does Sailorville. And so I wanna strengthen your faith, and maybe for some of you, you'll place your faith in Jesus uh, today as you realize what kind of God we serve. But with all that in mind, let's turn to Daniel chapter six. Daniel chapter six. Maybe a story, whether you've grown up in the church or not, maybe you've heard of Daniel and the lion's den. And that's what we're gonna look at this morning. I'm gonna read the whole chapter and then we're gonna dive into how Daniel chapter six can strengthen our faith in a dark, ever darkening world. So here we go. Daniel chapter six, beginning in verse one says this, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, kind of like mayors, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might, not, uh, might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for any complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, well, we're not gonna find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps, they came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, uh, the satraps, the counselors, the governors, we're all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew 
that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and they found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So they came near and they said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they said before the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but he makes petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard this, these words, he was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. But then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, no, know this, O king, it's the law of the Medes and the Persians. No injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Boy, were they in for a surprise. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then... At the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then he got an answer. Daniel said to the king, O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. We love hero stories, don't we? And I'm not talking about the ones we see on TV. I'm talking about those heroes in our lives that we admire because they stood strong and they were courageous in the face of darkness. 
People we admire because of their selfless achievements in the face of adversity. People who lived virtuous lives. The, sta- the, the, the story of Daniel is a hero story. And actually, after I read this, it reminded me of one of my heroes. And you might be familiar with the name Corey Tinboom. Uh, Corey Tinboom was a World War II era uh, Dutch watchmaker who, throughout the Holocaust, hid and rescued hundreds of Jews. Uh, and she was a faithful servant of Jesus, and she eventually gets uh, found out, and she gets thrown into to an all-female concentration camp, one of the deadliest and most populated, uh, I think there are, at one time there were around 50,000 women in this con- concentration camp, Ravensbrück was the name of it, and there she was with, in a barracks with 10 times the amount of people it could fit, Flea infested, disease infested, sickness infested, holding a Bible study in the corner and preaching Jesus and praying for those cruel, torturous guards all while living for Christ. Daniel lived out his faith in the midst of an unbelieving and ever darkening world. And so the question we're asking ourselves this morning, we're asking of God's word this morning is, is how can our lives exalt God in a dark world? How can our lives exalt God in a dark world? And I see four marks of a God-exalting life from Daniel chapter six. So let's get right into it. Four marks of a a God-exalting life from Daniel chapter six. Number one, here's the first one, a consistent walk with God a consistent walk with God. Now, we're not gonna take time to turn to Daniel chapter one, but I do wanna give you some context. Daniel chapter one, verse three, tells us that Daniel was born into one of the royal or noble families of Israel. He was an Israelite. And he was likely in his teenage years, probably early teenage years, 13 to 15, when he experienced the horrors of the Babylonian invasion. Daniel and scores of others, as uh, his people in his family, other kids his age, were ripped from their families and from their homes and taken captive. He would have witnessed many people he grew up around slaughtered before his eyes. And this invasion and captivity began a 70-year exile of Israel from their land, brought on them by God himself because they rejected the God who saved them. And as a teenager, once Daniel arrived in the great city of Babylon, he was to be trained for diplomatic service. Yet, even as a teenager, he had a consistent walk before God. As a young teenager facing such terrible sufferings, I'm sure there's probably not many of us who would have kind of understood if Daniel was like, "Mm, I'm out, no, no. Like, if this is the kind of God you are, if this is what happens when when I serve and follow you, I'm done with you, God. I'll just kind of make my own way from here. There's no way I'm serving and worshiping a God who would allow such things to happen. But he actually did just the opposite. When he arrived in Babylon as a teenager, the king gave him a new name. It was Belteshazzar, and Daniel 4 tells us that's actually a name of one of Babylon's gods. He got a new name, he got new clothes, New hairstyle, new food, new diet, all of that stuff. What was going on is King Nebuchadnezzar, that's, that was the king in Daniel chapter one, he sought to completely remake Daniel's identity. 
But Daniel would have none of it. Here's what Daniel chapter one, verse eight says. It says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with Babylonian food. Might have been some unclean foods in there, but nothing inherently wrong. Nothing inherently wrong with wine, for him to drink wine. So why did Daniel refuse what the king was giving him? Nice clothes, nice food. I mean, hey, I mean, for, as far as captivity goes, I mean, that's not such a bad deal. Why did Daniel refuse? Daniel did not want to be ensnared by the temptations of the Babylon culture. Daniel would avoid anything that would compromise his identity as a child of God. I mean, just imagine this. A teenager telling a king of the world's most powerful empire, sorry king, not happening. He had the audacity to cling to God when faced with compromise. Now we fast forward to Daniel chapter six, and now the Medo-Persian empire is in charge, which means that Daniel would have been well into his 80s in Daniel chapter six. Okay, so from 14, 15, year old, 15 years old in chapter one, now well into his 80s. And here we find the same Daniel, still having the audacity to cling to God when faced with compromise. A consistent walk before God. What does a consistent walk look like? I think there's two parts. Number one, we must refuse to accommodate anything that would jeopardize or compromise our identity as children of God, if you truly are a child of God through Jesus. We must refuse. And then secondly, not only must we refuse, but we, we need to infuse the world with the love of Christ. I love what the old Southern Baptist preacher Vance Havner said. He said, we're not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion, and I, I love that word combustion, the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. That's what we need for a consistent walk. Christ's love infused and ignited in us and just exploding into the culture. Daniel had the audacity to cling to God when faced with compromise. And it is the audacity. Do you have that audacity? The second mark we see in this passage is not only did he have a consistent walk before God, but he had continual fellowship with God. Okay, so now we've got this 80-year-old Daniel. He's got a position second only to the king. And what happens is all these other high officials, they get jealous. And so they gotta find a way to get rid of this Daniel. But there's one problem. There's, there's no fault to be found with Daniel. Daniel wasn't a Sunday-only Christian. I mean, his fellowship with God saturated every aspect of his life, including in the workplace and in the community. So they had no ground to get Daniel killed. It reminded me of, of an episode of The Office, if you're familiar with, the, with it. Uh, it's, it's when uh, the manager, Michael Scott, hates the HR rep, 
Toby Flenderson, and he wants to get him fired, and so he's on the phone with the CEO, David Wallace, and, and he, asks, he asks, is there any way we can get rid of Toby? And David Wallace, the CEO, replies, not without cause, Michael. And Michael responds, I have cause, it's because I hate him. And, uh, you know, didn't work. And it didn't work for Michael Scott in the office, and it's not gonna work for these high officials with King Darius. So, they devise a plan. For 30 days, people could only pray to the king. They were often viewed as gods in those days. So the injunction has been signed, the law has been established, and the law said that Daniel could not fellowship with his God for 30 days. Now what if something was signed into law today that said you could not fellowship with your God for 30 days or you're dead? How would you respond? For 30 days, Daniel was not, the law said that Daniel for all of his needs, all of his requests, all of his prayers, all of his thanksgiving had to go to the king alone. Otherwise, he was gonna be thrown into a den of hungry lions. But Daniel didn't break his fellowship with God for 30 milliseconds. He fulfilled what we read in Philippians chapter four, verse six. You're familiar with the verse, do not be anxious about anything, say the word, but what? In everything, in everything, but in everything, in everything. It's crazy, the Greek word for everything means everything. And I didn't even have to study the Greek word. I just know it means everything. Everything is everything, right? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. And you notice in this passage, it says he went to his room and he gave thanks to God. Circumstances didn't change Daniel's heart. And in moments of trouble, it all comes down to one question, what is most important to you? What do we value most? I know I'm often tempted to try to accommodate both. Like, okay, is there a way to like not compromise, but still kind of, you know, how close can the line can I get? You know, is this like, hmm. For Daniel, it was his fellowship with God was most important. When I was growing up, my, my dad, uh, he, he owned a business called Lincoln Neon Sign Company in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, yes, I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yes, I'm a Husker fan. Any other Husker fans out there? All right, other people who are depressed. Good. Uh, so, uh, but uh, my dad, he, he grew up in this plastic sign and neon sign business, and he passed away this, this past December. And he left behind a number of different signs that he had collected through, through, through working. And, uh, and uh, I think we got a picture of it here. And, and I, we recently bought a house and it comes with this huge shop. I'm the least uh, worthy person to have a shop this big because I don't have hobbies. I don't do cars or woodwork or anything. But hey, I get to hang up my dad's signs. Uh, you know, so you see the Burger King one there and a Pepsi racing and a couple of Coke signs and, uh, you know, a couple others. And while they were still sitting on the ground in the shop as we were moving, I would, I would constantly be telling the kids like, no, 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 get, get away, don't touch those. Hey, don't ride your bike in here, go away. No, I don't want you to knock these over. Hey, don't touch them. Nah. Like, why did I do that? Why was I so protective? It's because these, these are dear to me. These are dear to me. I hold them dear. And I was willing to protect them. 
Because we protect what we hold dear. And for Daniel, fellowship with God was so dear to him, he wouldn't let anything interrupt it, not even hungry lions. He knew that the king signed a document, and he knew that his sentence was to be torn apart and eaten alive by a bunch of lions. But Daniel just brushed it off his shoulder like a speck of dust and went right to his room and prayed to God. So what is so important in your life that it interrupts your fellowship with God? What is more important in your life than your fellowship with God? When do you find your fellowship with God interrupted the most? When we have continual fellowship with God in our house den, then we'll be able to experience rest in the lion's den. And that leads us to the third mark. Complete rest in God. Complete rest in God. Third mark of a God-exalting life in an ever-darkening world. When you have a consistent walk before God and continual fellowship with God, then you will experience complete rest in God. In this passage, you'll notice there's a lot of, lot of talking going on. The satraps, they're constantly talking. The king, he talks quite a bit in this passage. But Daniel is, is only recorded to have spoken one time. And that's pretty interesting because when you read through the Old Testament, it's, it's, it's the words, it's the conversation, the words that are being spoken that, that sometimes really bring out the point of a passage. And he figured, I mean, Daniel, he only... They only recorded saying one thing, which means that he didn't go to the king. He didn't try to save his life. He, he could have gone to the king and said, hey, king, these are ju just a bunch of jealous jerks who are trying to kill me. I mean, I mean, come on, don't, don't fall for it. Or he could have said, hey, king, listen, I'm your favorite. Like, I'm the second in command. Like, uh, can't you do something? No. He didn't do that. He did the exact same thing that one day Jesus would do. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 23, where Peter writes, he says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. Suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. Daniel's the second, he didn't threaten these guys, he's second in command. He says, I've got more authority than you. You follow this through, you're dead. No, he didn't threaten in return. But notice what it does say. He continued entrusting himself, resting in him, or entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus put his hands in his heavenly father who judges justly. By the way, you wanna know what Daniel's name means? It means God is my judge. Daniel entrusted himself. He rested in him who judges justly. Jesus was sentenced to death because of malicious schemers, and he entrusted himself. He rested in God, his heavenly Father. Daniel is sentenced to death because of malicious schemers, yet he's entrusting himself and resting in God, his heavenly Father. 
He knew that the God he served was the single God, he's the only God, the saving God, and he's also the sustaining God. He knew that the God he served provides rest. He knew that the God he served walks with us, walks with him through the valley of the shadow of death. He knew that his God was a very present help in trouble. We, uh, we came to town on Friday and we were visiting with a young man who's he's a member of the church that I pastor. Uh, his name is Niall. You may have heard Pastor Pat refer to him uh, last week. He was recovering at On With Life. And so we came in on Friday and got a chance to go hang out with him for a little bit and while the kids play at the playground. And we were talking, and, and, and not very long after we started talking, we started hearing crying and screaming. And then we saw our oldest daughter running towards us with blood all over her hands. And then we go over and check on our youngest, our four-year-old, and, and he had tripped on the chairs and just split his, split his chin wide open. And so on Friday night, we got to go to Mercy One emergency room uh, and get some stitches. After the doctor was done stitching him up, something kind of weird, not normal to me anyways, happened. He said, you know, they give us this kit. It's got a bunch of tweezers and scissors and other things in there. Uh, he says, they give us the kit, and it's just a disposable kit that we're just supposed to throw away afterwards. He goes, you know, there's such good tweezers and stuff in here. What man doesn't need a good set of tweezers for his toolbox or his, his fishing box? And he handed it to me and said, here you go. And he gave me the stuff he just used to sew up my son. There was still blood on the scissors. And the crazy thing, I've already used a few of those things. I was like, hey, kids, if we need to make another trip to the emergency room sometime, like, let's go. You know, we can, we can get some pretty cool stuff out of this, some high-quality stuff. You know, but is, that kind of reminded me of what, what God does. You know, God doesn't just save us. He gives us the tools we need to heal and to be sustained. You know, these schemers, they only had one way, for their, one way to get Daniel. And that was to have a showdown between Daniel's God and Medo-Persia's God. And by the way, in case you don't know scripture too well, anytime in scripture, anytime, anywhere, where, where the one true God is pitted against a false God, it never turns out too well for the false God. And Daniel was willing to have his God pitted against a false God, even, even if that battle was his own life, if the battlefield was his own daily life. If his life needed to be the battlefield where the one true God showed himself to be the one true God over false gods, Daniel was resting in that. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter how bleak things look. Anyone who pits our God against any other God is destined for failure, if not in this life, in the life to come. Satan, who is called the God of this world, he does not win. The gods of this world do not win. So Christian, let malicious schemers come against you with all they got. Let them sentence you to death for the cause of Christ. Your God will not lose, and he will not lose you. The God who saved Daniel from the power of the lions is our very present help in trouble. Does your soul find rest in that? That brings us to our final mark. A confident, a confident testimony for God. A 
a confident testimony for God. This isn't the only example of a confident faith and a confident testimony. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They're faced with a fiery furnace if they don't bow down to this idol. That, that was when King Nebuchadnezzar was in charge. Daniel chapter three, verses 17 and 18, here's what it says. Here's how they responded to the king about being thrown into the fiery furnace. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And by the way, God may deliver you from cancer, but it, it may be through death. And they knew this. That God could save them from the fiery furnace, or God might save them by the fiery furnace. And then, because that's what they say, but if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And I love what the king says here as he runs, he runs to the lines then, because it says he cried out in a tone of anguish, which means he was 100% sure that Daniel was dead. He, had, he, had, he, he was totally confident. So he was, just, he was already starting to mourn the loss of Daniel. And so he comes and he says, oh, Daniel, did your God save you? And he got an answer. Man, I wish I could have seen his face. Why didn't the Bible record his face? I mean, imagine talking, talking to a dead person and then the dead person talks back. Daniel immediately testified to the glory and goodness of God. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. It's also crazy, as, as we read in here, verse 17. It says they, they brought a stone, they laid it over the, 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 the den, and they put their signet on there, and it says that, in verse 17, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Listen, we serve a God who does not change, but who is the God of change, and who changes people, and can change you. If you think your destiny is locked in and there's just no way out of your sin, God can save you, God can deliver you. And when we're reading about this, we begin to realize that Daniel wasn't the hero of this story. God was. We're not the hero of our stories. You're not the hero of your story. I'm not the hero of my story. Our hero, for those of you who know Jesus, our hero is the resurrected Jesus. And reading these final parts of Daniel 6 with the king going to the tomb reminded me of that first Easter morning when those ladies went to the tomb expecting to find a dead Jesus. But in Daniel 6, God conquered the lions and rendered them powerless and rendered death powerless before Daniel in that tomb. Jesus was sentenced to death on a cross, and he actually did die, paying all the sin debt of all who believe in him. I love what Colossians chapter two, verses 13 through 15 says, where it talks about this Jesus. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You were dead. But it says, if you believe in Jesus, God made you alive together with Jesus. You've been resurrected with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How could God possibly forgive all of our sins? Well, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Well, how could God cancel the legal debt we owe to him because of our sin? And that's where it goes on to say. It says, this he set aside, nailing it 
to the cross. And by the way, while he did that, he also disarmed the lions. He disarmed the rulers by triumphing over them in him. Unlike Daniel, Jesus actually died and was buried in a tomb. But even greater than Daniel, Jesus went to the tomb and rose again three days later, disarming Satan, the roaring lion, rendering him powerless over the souls of those who trust in him. God is not asking you to overpower lions. He's asking you to trust in the one who's already defeated the lion, the prowling, growling lion. He's asking for you to trust in Jesus. It's only through Christ we can sing the words of that old hymn, what a fellowship, what a joy, divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear, leaning on the everlasting arms? I have blessed hope with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, 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 safe and secure from all alarms, Leaning, 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 leaning on the everlasting arms. The climax of Daniel chapter six comes at the very end. And here is our clear testimony to all who can hear. That you tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Can I get a Sailorville boom shakalaka? Or maybe just an amen is fine too. Maybe we'll just go with that. Fear and tremble for he is the living God. Let's close in prayer. Our God, as we think about this passage, we understand that we live in a dark world, spiritually bankrupt, more and more malicious attacks coming on those who confess Jesus, certainly going on in other parts of the world. Lord, how can our lives possibly exalt you in such a dark world and God we're thankful that we don't have to be the hero of this dark world we're not we can't be God thank you that you're the hero and thank you that Jesus who rose again is the hero of our souls so God help us to trust you and to have faith in you we pray this in Jesus name